As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Brokowski got a pass out. Heller has a man moving up with him. Connolly. Heller drifting now. Got it on the wing. Orpik a shot. He's got it. Orpik up the wing. Let it go, and it's three to one. As we start this Capitals Talk podcast, let me just say happy one-year anniversary of Brooks Orpik scoring the first ever game-winning goal in a Stanley Cup final for the Caps. It happened May 30th of 2018, and here we are one year later. The Blues scoring a big goal last night from Carl Gunnarsson, an unlikely hero, tying up that series at one game apiece. We'll talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup final as well as get to the mailbag that we send into J.J. Regan got some great questions and Brian McNally was actually at the Stanley Cup final for media day before it started he spoke with Craig Berube as well as Marcus Johansson so we'll talk about that as well Ryan Billy is here to chime in when needed I guess <laughs> I got nothing <laughs> I'm Rob Carlin with J.J. Ryan and Brian as we uh hit the Capitals Talk podcast first off one year ago today Brooks Orpic man I, it it was so much more fun last year at this time doing what we were doing then compared to doing a mailbag now. No offense. It's great questions, great caps talk. But, man, it would be more fun actually covering a Stanley Cup like last year. Yes, it would. Now, being in Boston, it was like you got a taste of – I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, this is what it was like when an entire city is in on everything. We don't get that here, by the way. Like the caps run, obviously, was the first time since the Wizards – that or uh, the Redskins, I'm sorry, in 91 that – the entire city was kind of galvanized by a team and remembering the F street and seventh street. We just had just, you couldn't move. There literally were uh, thousands and thousands and thousands nightly of parties and nightly parties. <clears throat> the entire city gets into it. Now their whole, the whole crew is moving to St. Louis for game three. What I remember about game two is this is funny. Like obviously media, right? You're not supposed to cheer in the press box. There's none of that. Like you're very stone face. Like, Oh, that was a remarkable save. Like you're whispering like in golf clap terms. Like we're in the media room in Vegas outside T-Mobile arena. It was uh, essentially a trailer underneath circus circuses, like amusement park. So you'd hear the roller coaster going behind. So we're all in there watching the final two minutes. Cause you got to get downstairs quick before the end of the game. And when Braden Holpe makes his save. Two minutes to go. And a pucked up Dan Holpe watching a bad bounce out of the corner. And a shot and a save made by Braden Holpe. Oh, my. As Alex Tuck was robbed. 
on a puck that came bouncing out of the corner and Washington by a whisker still on top with 159 to go my goodness Braden Holtby he makes the save and then they show the replay that place went nuts you would have thought you were in the arena like the reporters just lost all objectivity not necessarily caps reporters well that's where you're, it's good that Everybody. you're in this tent like you're not in the press box you're not in the press box right. and, it, and this isn't just like caps reporters this is like random national guys hockey, from Montreal are fans. like, oh, my, you know, Mundu, they can't believe it. They're going crazy. <laughs> and everybody loses their mind. And that, like, that was the fun part of that entire run is that, like, the to to see the, rel- you know, we knew the whole backstory. We know, we know everything about the team. But to see that then get translated to the national level and hoping make a play like that um, in game two that will resonate. I think Scott Oak... Uh, from CBC told him at the end, he's like, that will go down as the save. That's that's one of the great moments in Washington sports history. And I don't think, I think Braden was taken aback by that after it was just on the ice after they won the, won the cup. And I think he was kind of taken aback. Like he didn't quite, to him, it was just another good play. And to us and to everyone watching, it was like a defining moment of, of that run. It was, uh, it was an amazing game too. And it, you know, it's cool. JJ is sort of hear that from Braden Holpe kind of in the moment and not appreciating what that was to cut to our interviews with him before the season started when we did all the one-on-ones, and he totally understood that that play not only will go down in Washington, D.C. sports history, but in hockey and Stanley Cup lore, you will always look back on Doc Emmerich's call of the save in this moment. that really saved the Stanley Cup for the Caps. If they end up losing that game, it could be a totally different script. But he did appreciate probably time and seeing it and hearing it from every neighbor. All the kids that threw notes over his his yard that we found out about probably went up to him and, and said something and their parents that he did appreciate how big that single play was to hockey fans and DC sports and caps fans. Yeah, it's definitely sunk in and I think it makes him a little bit uncomfortable. He always downplays it whenever you talk to him Uh, at the beginning of the season. He said, well, it wasn't a technically sound save. He he didn't like it all that much, which is just, come on, man, that's ridiculous. You made the save. That's your job. You know, Dominic Hajik never made technically sound saves. He made everything look as difficult as possible, but you're right. Looking back at that moment, what happens if he lets that goal in? Not only the game is tied, you, they just came back in a game that you were up three to one, and that place would have gone absolutely berserk. You maybe you come back to win, but maybe you don't. Maybe and then it's down. You're down two nothing. All the history of the Caps comes crashing down on your shoulders. You still have never won a Stanley Cup final game. You know that save may have literally the cup may have been won with that save, and that's crazy to think about in a game two and. As incredible as that save was to see in the moment, because you realize it just saved that game, with time, as time passes and you look back on it, it's actually gotten more important because you realize that save may have won the Stanley Cup because I don't know if they win it without that save. Changes the whole tenor of the series is basically what it did. You Coming back down here, 0-2, again, now every narrative is, ah, oh, here we go again with the Caps in the big moment. But, Billy from our point of view and the amount of time that certainly Alan, certainly me and Alan and me, you and Alan together have spent defending Brooks Orpic to the 
Twitterazzi <laughs> that goes nuts with every turnover. It is a twenty-four hour job. It really is, and for him to go down in history as the guy who scored the first ever Stanley Cup Final game-winning goal. Mwah, I love that. The funny thing too is it wasn't the game-winning goal at the time, right? We had kind of had to remember, like, oh my god, Brooks Orpik gets the game winner here, and that's crazy. I mean, when he scored. You know, we're all thinking of all the people of, you know, like, how is that, you know. It, it, but there's what, it have been like 200 small games or something? It was like some crazy or 200 days or something. Yeah, he didn't score in the entire regular season. Yeah. So yeah. it had been a long time. But there was something kind of poetic about it, too. You know, and it, it goes to that narrative. If you're going to win a cup, guys that don't do things that they normally do have to step up and, and do those things. And Brooks Orpik doesn't normally score, <laughs> as we all know. Uh, but, you know. He he deserved it because he had played so well during that that playoff run. He was great. Uh, I I always you know we defended him like crazy during the uh, during the playoffs last year. Uh, so it was awesome, and you could tell when you talk to the teammates, they just couldn't have gushed more about how awesome that was for them to watch him get that goal tied at one apiece, much like it was last year. Home team wins game one, road team wins game two. Stanley Cup now moves to St. Louis. I'm rooting hard for the Blues. <laughs> hard for Boston to not win another title. <laughs> Just I'm so sick of that city and their fan base. So I'm rooting hard for the Blues. Uh, Brian, you were there leading up to game one and wrote two great stories so far that we've seen. So let's just quickly go through them um, and your take on, first we'll start with Craig Berube, yeah. the chief, who, you know, fans here that were around then, they all love him, how tough he was, a tough guy. He's part of the greatest turnaround which could go down as one of the all-time great stories much like the save last year if the blues pull this off this is one of the great stories in nhl history the coaching change mid-season of the team that was dead worst in the nhl at the turn of the new year forget the the old stat about where you are on thanks u.s thanksgiving this is january 3rd and they are dead last in the nhl playing the caps but uh craig berube that you spoke to his take on this incredible journey from then to now. Well, here's the best part. Craig, Bar- Craig Peruby doesn't care about any of that. <laughs> Correct. He's, it, like the good stuff in that story is all from his old teammates because I talked to Ole Kolzig. I talked to um, obviously Alan May, Keith Jones, like all these guys who have uh, who came up with, with Peruby. And it, it, he's, he's a really interesting guy because he, back in the day, what badass, right? Like he's as scary a ho- looking hockey player and when I think of like a tough guy in my youth, that's who I think of, right? Like I think of just this guy pummeling people, stone faced. He's got the mullet. Like he's just a scary, scary dude. And, you know, apparently he's a great communicator. Apparently, like his players love him. He's, he was, he was that guy, Oli was telling me that he was actually a guy who worked to get to the point where he could be almost like Jay Beagle was by the end of his time here. Like, not a two goal scorer a year, not just a guy to go out and fight. He wanted to work on his on his craft and, and get better at at the things he knew he didn't do well. And not that he would ever be like a twenty five goal scorer, but he could contribute. He wasn't just a guy who would go out and protect his teammates. But that was inevitably whoever you talked to, that's what they talked about with Craig Berube was his communication skills. He could talk to the rookies as well as he you know as he could talk to. It was a lot a lot like the way Tom Wilson describes. Brooks Orpik, right? As the guy who could, um, hey, he can talk to the rookies. He could talk to the vet. Like he, he's able to communicate with everybody, and uh, and I think that that came through with Bruby. And you realize why he's 
he's such a good uh, such a good coach. I, it was fun kind of doing the reporting on that, uh, and I I did also write on um, on Bruce Cassidy too because his situation with the Caps was could not have been more of a disaster. We we all know that and remember that. Um, and to see him, that's another amazing story to see him put in 13 years to get back to where now he's three wins away from a cup, you know, the Stanley cup. That, that's remarkable. If you had told any caps fan that any time in the past decade, they would have been like, no chance. Like, well, that guy was a clown. What are you talking about? He wasn't, I mean, o- only made clear. He was a really smart hockey guy who was more of a player still than a coach. He was 37 years old. There were guys, Callie Johansson older than him on the team at the time. And he he had to learn some harsh lessons. He had off off ice issues. We kind of go into in the story um, that you can check out on our website. But all that stuff kind of made it uh, remarkable that he paid the dues that he needed to get to uh, you know get to even the AHL level, let alone back on the Boston bench and and then take over when they fired Claude Julian. So that that's on its own a remarkable story. Yeah, we we spend so much time talking about Baruby because of this great story of this season. But Cassidy coming back and, and doing this so many years later, like at some point you think he's just never going to get another shot, you know, and that we that's probably happened to tons of guys. Like you just weren't quite ready at the time, and then you wear that for the rest of your career. So we spend so much time on Baruby. Yeah, I forget that Cassidy is the guy for the Bruins on their bench. Yeah, it's crazy from a Washington perspective. No one saw this coming from either coach, you know. Uh, Cassidy... <laughs> When you found out that the Bruins had replaced Claude Julian with Bruce Cassidy, you're like, well, that well, that, good luck. <laughs> that team just went down the toilet. Wow. I'm, okay. You know, it, it's so crazy how, how bad he was in Washington and what he's been able to do with Boston. And then Craig Berube wasn't all that remarkable in Philadelphia. I don't think I, – I didn't see all that much from him – uh, as a head coach there. So it, it's kind of crazy to think where these two coaches are. You know, maybe those are two guys who had to learn to be head coaches in the NHL. The, they had to learn their lessons the first time, and now it's remarkable where they've gone. And you hope that maybe the learning curve isn't quite as steep for Todd Reardon, who's in his first NHL head coaching job. Well, and, and Cassidy, J.J., was was fascinating, too, because he didn't just get – he got ju- dropped into a piranha tank. Like, think of the dudes on that team. The, like the alpha male kind of Yager, uh, Bondra, Kolzig, Johans, guys who've been around forever. And he's this 36, he's 37 year old dude. He was a first round pick. He was an 18th pick overall in 83 by the Blackhawks. And I think a lot of people would say a bust, total bust, 36 games in the NHL. So to these guys, he shows up unprepared. They use the word unprofessional. Like they were, they were taking a bat to this dude while acknowledging and kind of crediting him with essentially turning his life around. So it became this really fascinating story of the guys that at the time, I'm not kidding, like did not like him, wanted him out. Like he did some stuff and said some things that I put in the story that uh, basically the locker room was in revolt and he had to go. And to go from that to this is, is kind of remarkable. And it was a tough position for him too, because that was the, that was pre before they tore it all down. That was a good team. There was a lot of talent on that team that you thought could be a competitor in the East. And it completely fell apart because they had a coach who they didn't respect and who didn't really know what he was doing at the time. That hire was so against type of what the franchise had done. The coaches that they had previously all were sort of, you know, 
guys who had been in the league who had sort of, you know, uh, some of themselves had had reputations. And I remember when they announced Bruce Cassidy, and we're like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like, I, he, and my, I remember my mom was thrilled. She was like, man, he's handsome. Who is this guy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was sort of an interesting hire, especially kind of giving him the keys to a car that probably should have been a lot better than it was. So uh, it is a weird hockey's a strange deal and it's it's weird i was just looking it up uh you know Berube almost played for cassidy because he was in dc that oh 2001 season cassidy got here in 02 that'd be really weird if for ruby because if you had if you looked took a picture of those two guys and said who which played, one played for who the other one you wouldn't have it right uh it's weird it's good for him though i mean it's what an amazing remarkable kind of turnaround yeah and again you you know the boston room is not an easy room too i mean walking in like you said replacing julianne and you walk into an established team yeah. that you know is stanley cup ready year after year with big personalities and so again he's walking in with that label on his back and to do what he's done and get them to buy in and and now be three wins away from the cup again another credit to him and, and doing the doing the reporting on the story and to jj's point like he he shows up in a room like that he he knew he was out of his depth in in Washington. I think by the end he knew like I'm just not I'm not ready for this. He had, uh, as I said, uh, I won't get into him too much, but he had off off ice issues that he was dealing with at the time, uh, a divorce that was that was very difficult and all that. He, you know, has now has a much more stable life. And what they all said was, no, he knew the game. He was no dummy. Like he wasn't, wasn't a head coach yet. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't out of his league in terms of like. He was out of his league managing people, and Ken. I talked to Ken Clee, the old Caps defenseman, and he was like, "That is most of the job at, at this level. You have to be detailed. Everybody's detailed. Everybody's, you know, all that." He wasn't detailed enough at the time, but he also didn't know how to manage people, and and that he was in Providence. Let's be honest, he was in Providence three years in the, as an assistant, and then five years as their AHL head coach before he even got back to Boston as as the assistant to uh, to Julian. So. You know that that road is is so long, and I think what he learned is how to man. He's not he's not a dummy. He's a smart, really smart, well respected hockey guy. But you have to manage your room, and he's got good veterans in place. He may not have had that here in terms of guys on the same page. Um, you had Yager who had just gotten here and all that stuff. So wildly different circumstances, but. Uh, good for him. I mean, him, Barubi, and and Marcus Johansson. Like that's a that's a good Caps triumvirate triumvirate for us to kind of pay attention to throughout the series. Yeah, and I want to hit on Mojo real quick. But you think about like Barry Trotz. I mean, he's a great hockey guy. He's a great. I mean, clearly what he's done with the Islanders in one year, what he did with the Caps from the time he took over, where the room was fractured, and what's going to happen next, and coming off of the the loss the year before the Cup. What he did to bring that room back together and nurse all the the pain and the the mental suffering to get them, you know, ready, that speaks more to dealing with the big personalities in the room, dealing with the Ovies and Backstroms the same way you deal with the Burakovskis and the Juices and somehow figuring out a way to bring them all together. So, you know, again, credit to Cassidy. Marcus Johansson, did you have something you wanted to say about Cassidy? Well, no, I was going to go back to Berube real quick. Uh -huh. Just to circle, what a scary dude he was. How many penalty minutes he had his first year in D.C.? <laughs> How many? Uh, take a guess. Take a guess. 
So what what Pims, year? Ninety three, ninety four. Ninety three, ninety four. He's a couple of years in the league. Uh, you want to go I, what like two hundred here? I was gonna say a hundred and two hundred. 305. 305. <laughs> 305. That dude was terrifying. Wow. 305. <laughs> I did. I talked to um, I talked to our good friend, Alan May, for a little bit for the story because he knows uh, Chief, as they call him, really well. And he said what he said was he left home in, uh, in Alberta. He left Edmonton, the Edmonton area, as like a good player, but like not a big guy, like a skinny guy, just had skill and whatever good promising prospect but he left to go play in like a lower level junior league and when he came back he was just a he was that he had morphed into that guy he'd been convinced that that was how he was going to get to the league and then took that throughout his junior career throughout his AHL career and came up kind of at the he came up with the flyers but he came up with the flyers 10 years after the broad street bullies right and that was his mentality yeah it was, it was like at the tail that, end when at the t- at the tail end yeah. of, of all that and that i think that speaks to what ryan said oh we got another chief stat well if you're wondering if that was the capital single season record it is not it is not does is he not. have does he have the record due oh no is it alan dale hunt alan alan may, has, alan the may has it what's the record oh, wow 339 does it say how many games he played that year can you check to see how many games yeah. he played? Efforting. 339. 77. Divided by 77 equals, oh, that's four and a half per game. That's four and a half penalty minutes per game. Wow. You should pay rent in that box. <laughs> that, that's basically a fight per game. 339 wow. penalty minutes. In 17 points. Good for Al. <laughs> uh, Marcus Johansson. Uh, which someone actually sent me a message on Twitter. Is it now Joe Hansen? Because I remember it was <laughs> Johansson here. Uh, uh, I always said Johan- I, Marcus Johansson, right? Mar- right. I, I, it was, on TV, they say Marcus Johansson. Yeah, it was, I know. It's, it tilts me. It was lot. always <laughs> Johansson. That may be another one of those Europeans saying, you know what? Just well, say it however you want. Say it how you want. In D.C., they screwed it up for my whole career. Yeah. Say it's Joe. Yeah. Like that, he could have just been. He could have yeah. just given us a heads up and said, hey. Yeah. Which I, and I'm not sure who's right or wrong, actually. Right. They called him JoJo, right? And it's his teammates generally. JoJo, JoJo, Mojo, Mojo. Mojo. Yeah. Uh, makes, you, makes you think Johansson. I'm going to go Johansson because that's what we said. I'm sure. Four years. I'm sure in the fall, Joe Ben and I is going to come back and he's going to complain about it because <laughs> this is something that he always complains. Joe, about. I well, asked this, him this what he wanted that. to be called. Right, Joe, is, and then he told me. You know, Joe is so. so diligent about that, like going up, like no, seriously, what do you what do you want to be called? Like, right. My job is to get your name right. Like, literally, if if Verano wanted to be just called Jake the Snake, I think Joe would be like, oh, I'll call you Jake the Snake. Well, he kind of created Jake the Snake. He so, did, yes. but I mean, like full time, like I'll just <laughs> refer to you that way. Um, and, and or as Alan once did in one interview, you remember uh, Billy see, when he did it in one interview and he called him Yakub, Jacob, and Jake in one <laughs> intermission interview. Those are like a minute and eight <laughs> seconds long. Uh, so hockey reference here, uh, Ryan is showing me Johansson, Johansson, Johansson. So those sweet. So I had to do battle, by the way. So was, you're you're saying Doc Emmerich's wrong. I am saying Doc Emmerich. Is wrong. <laughs> Doc Emmerich is a Hall of Famer, and he's and he uh, better at his job than I'll ever be at mine. But I think he's incorrect. <laughs> I think he's incorrect. <laughs> if if we can, 
if a website can be believed. And when which, would a website? Why not would the be internet? Right? Why yeah. would the internet be wrong? <laughs> can't be. It can't be alive. It's on the internet. It right. Cannot exactly. Be JJ makes a great point. So, so he. So the the cool thing about the NHL Media Day is like a this a tiny tiny version of Super Bowl Media Day. Right. There's no freaks roaming around, so we don't have to deal with that. <laughs> There's no guy in a clown costume or someone from Brazil asking wacky questions of Tom Brady, but there is a lot of international media and guys are at podiums. So Marcus Johansson is sitting at his podium and, uh, the Swedish media just descends, right? Like, and the cool, the funny thing is we don't know any of those people. Why, why would we, but to him, it's like, um, you know, Rachel, Rachel Nichols comes up and is talking to him. Like the, the, he knows them from home. He's, he sees them and is all excited. Like, Oh my God, this person's in here. Even though he's an NHL player, right. oh, I'm talking to a, a a big wig, you know, reporter from Sweet from back home. I show up and he's like, "Oh, hey man, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? What do you? Why? What are you here? Why are you for? here? Why are you? Uh, well, and then we uh, we went into the talk, and he he was good on it. We went in and talked about kind of the just bitterness. He called it. He he said bitter. I think he just language wise. I think he more meant bittersweet watching his teammates win last year. He had such a tough year in New Jersey. Um, obviously, the Marchand hit knocked him out. He had already, I'd forgotten, he had already had a concussion, right, um, a, uh, two months earlier that knocked mm-hmm. him out for a month. Then Marshawn hits him in January. His teammates are going on to win the Metro again. They go on to win the Cup. He played, I think, 29, 30 games. Um, it was just a really hard year for him. And he said, he it was straight up, he's like, I didn't see that trade coming. They never saw it. Like, a year earlier, he had, or a year and a half earlier, he had scored the game winner against Toronto, and he was kind of the guy going up and down, like the Burakovsky now, the guy going up and down the lineup can play anywhere. Had twenty four goals, JJ, is that right? That that one that last year, he was really good that last year right. in terms of production yeah. and all that. And obviously, we know how it ended: the two losses to Pittsburgh and the salary cap hit. Justin Williams goes, and and Marcus was traded for. Uh, two draft picks, uh, which is essentially, I got static for some reason on Twitter for this, but you got nothing back for him that in immediately, which is what you need if you're the caps. Uh, so eventually that, yeah, the draft picks may turn out well, but um, so he, you know, he, he kind of was, was frank about that. That he was, he was a little, a little bitter, a little, you know, disappointed. Um, but to land in a spot where he's almost in the same kind of role He's had a good postseason. You know, he's had, I think, three goals. There, hit, there have been the post, games like, where you're like, he's the best player on the ice right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very noticeable. And I think he I think it's breed life. I think while he may have liked New Jersey well enough, this is the kind of spot he he is meant for and and wants to be part of. And uh, you know, a little bit of awkwardness with Marshawn, I'm sure. Mm. Uh and and doesn't love talking about that. But uh, he's played well enough and he was a great pickup, I think, for the Bruins and and it's breathed new life into his career. Well, I, I remember I, I spoke to um, Carl Alsner, who's going through this horrendous, his career is ending, is literally falling apart, and he was nice enough, as that was happening at the beginning of the year, um, to call into a Capitals Talk podcast and talk about all his old buddies winning a cup, which just speaks to how good a guy he is. And he kind of said the same thing. He's like, yeah, it sucks. Like, we... We worked hard for a long time with expectations of winning it multiple times and then to leave and see all your buddies. But at the same time, he was like, I 
texted, I called, I wanted to hear the details. These are my friends, our wives are friends, our kids know each other. So while it's you know probably bittersweet to see that, there probably is that bit of just like, attaboy guy, you know, like attaboy, way to go, way to finally get it done. Because he had invested a lot to get to the, cap- the Caps where they were at a point to win a Stanley Cup. So it's got to be a, a tough balance of like, serious now? Compared to, way to go, Ovi. Yeah. You know, way to, way to finally get it done. Yeah, it, you can't help but feel good for him. This wasn't a guy who walked away in free agency. This wasn't a guy who demanded a trade. This was a guy who had who signed to stay on in Washington and because they just couldn't afford to keep everyone, became a cap casualty. And it's a good reminder, too, that this is, you know, while we analyze these trades, while we look at, at the, the business aspect of things, this is players' lives. And it took him – I. I wasn't all that surprised when he got traded. I, I was surprised to hear that he was surprised I, I, about it. Me too. It. I thought that immediately. How did he not see the riding? Yeah, right. and, and it's just, it, it goes to show you, you know, like they're just living their life and all of a sudden their entire professional world gets turned upside down. But you also cheer for him because of all the criticism he had coming into this into this playoff round. You know, he he got this reputation as being soft and not a playoff performer, which just wasn't really correct. I mean, he scored the series-clinching overtime goal against Toronto. Mike Milbury kept calling him Marshmallow Soft. The issue here in Washington was that he was being asked originally to play a bigger role than he should have. There were a lot of years where he was on the top line playing winger with Alex Ovechkin, and that's just not where he needed to be. That's not where he should have been. And you see it this year. He's being asked to be a role player by Boston because they have that top line. They don't need him to be that guy, and he is thriving. He is brilliant. He was the second star in game one, if I recall. I yep. mean, he was great in that game. So it's good to see him rise above all that and, and show that he's a good player and to see some success now in the playoffs. Because he was always a good soldier here. Yes, I mean, he, he, he uh, a good, like, Civil War soldier. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, I'm looking at it. I mean, did you played... just stumble into that or did you have that in your hip pocket? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll never tell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he played at least 74 games his last four years, scored at least 40 points. I mean, he could kill penalties. I mean, he was a lot of ways like a utility guy who could do a lot of things. And he Good did, reason and, why he was a fan favorite. For sure. And imagine if you're sitting at home in the summer thinking you're playing for a really good team, and they're like, hey, we're transferring you to Newark. <laughs> like, what? what, what, what? Uh, that's the worst. And so I understand why it would be bittersweet. My son was so mad that they traded him. We were at a uh, sporting goods store like a week later. He made me buy a New Jersey Devils bumper sticker, ah. and it's up on his wall in the, in the house because he was so mad about the trade. So there's at least one guy who was angry about it. But <laughs> I, I'm happy for him. I don't want Boston to win. If there was some way we could extract Mojo from the rest of Boston and get, just give him a cup, I would do it. But uh, that would be my one silver lining if that is the way it ends up going. Yeah, good stuff, though, from going out there and getting some really interesting Caps-related content because – you think about those three personalities, you know, Mojo, the fan favorite, Baruby, yep. the all-time tough guy, yep. and then <laughs> Cassidy, this kind of joke of a guy <laughs> yeah. that ends it, up here. It's just a weird series that it worked out that a couple of really kind of key right, important guys. Parts. Important, important. Like, Marcus was here seven years. He was a first-round pick. It's not like it's some random free agent they picked up. You know, he's not, not Joe Corvo or some dude that <laughs> just showed up and kind of didn't play well and was gone. Right. This it's not the Marty like, E-Rat. Sorry, Joe Corvo. I didn't mean to take a shot at Joe Corvo. But yeah, yeah Marty E-Rat. Yeah. Just announced his retirement, right? I just saw that 
cross Twitter at some point. Are today. you at it? Yeah. Oh, I had to right. check to see what I, year I, I that know. had. Was that a retweet from a couple of years yeah, ago? M- but, most people thought he retired once he came once here. Once he came here, yes. Uh, Here's where his career ended. Yeah, but he just didn't actually retire until now. Um, all right, we'll get to the mailbag here in just a second, JJ. But first, if uh, if you haven't noticed, the Nats are starting to turn things around a little bit. Juan Soto's starting to hit like the dude that uh, we expected him to be. Five out of six. Uh, this is a this is a review on the on the Racing Presidents podcast from Briscoe C from this past weekend. As a Nats fan in exile, I am so happy this podcast is now available. The hosts aren't Nats-paid homers like other podcasts provide. Rather, they are strong reporters that critique and dissect like knowledgeable baseball fans, giving voice to the same concerns we fans have and exploring solutions that are relevant and topical. Despite the season the Nats are having, this is a very rewarding podcast to listen to. That's a strong nice. review. Wow. Good for Todd Davis in the yes. yeah. I like that. So like uh, they're they are turning churning out a podcast after every single Nats game all season long. They're starting to play a little bit better now. Animal Sanchez actually pitched well last night. So check out our Racing Presidents podcast that follows the Nats all season, all part of the NBC Sports Washington family of podcasts. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. All right, JJ. You want to get to the mailbag? Do you let's, have your questions ready? Let's do it. Are you are, are you going to read them? Do you want me to read them? How do you want to How do you want to do this? Why don't you read we, them? We probably, because we I have probably no idea. should have discussed <laughs> yes. this before the podcast. <laughs> so let's see here. All right, let's go through. This is what uh, Billy sent me. Some possible questions. Man, I need. To Which is why I sent you the email. <laughs> I, I didn't know. JJ I thought he the had them. We would have been. <laughs> I thought I sent I, he you the had them, and then I would be able to read them, so I knew what was coming here. Uh, all right. I, I, I wish I'd have known. I would have gotten my glasses. We'll start with Christopher Christopher Schweitzer. There are those who are fond of saying that the Caps' strength throughout the system, other than goalie, is defense. I'm trying to figure out what that really means. What's your take on the defenseman in the Caps' system below the NHL? Lucas Johansson? Johansson? He is Johansson. That <laughs> yes. one is a joke. That, is that, that one's for sure. Lucas Johansson seems like a bust. And if he's to figure it all out, we'll need at least one or two more years to do so if he ever does. Connor Hobbs doesn't seem like an NHL prospect. Alexander Alexiev seems like the real deal, but he's been injury prone. Martin Fayavari may be the best of the bunch. Tyler Lewington can maybe be a tough third liner. Who stands out to you? And what is your realistic take on the defense prospects in the system? I think Alexiev's getting a... A tough label right there. Yeah, it's injury a rough prone. injury. I mean, they thought he snapped his leg in half in a yeah. freak injury. He's not been pulling hamstrings all year. And so, I don't know if I'd call Lucas Johansson a bust quite no. yet. No, he's, so he's yeah, to go through it. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with Alex Alexiev. I see what he's saying. Alexiev, they play the WHL plays sixty some odd games. I think it's sixty one games. He's always been limited to less than fifty. He's never played more than fifty. So I see what he's saying there. That injury this year was the real deal. I mean, you got, I'm sure there is a little bit of concern about any lingering issues with that knee, what he's going to look like when he comes back. You, you don't, 
I think the start of next season is going to be critical. But if he lives up to his potential, that guy is a top pairing, top defenseman on the NHL. I mean, he, he's the real deal. He's, he's got great talent. Martin Ferravari, I know the team loves him. He was in the World champ- World Championship tournament playing with the seniors. Played, I mean, played really well, didn't he, JJ? Played well. He got schooled a little bit by Capo Caco, but he schooled everybody Who didn't? in that tournament. Right, you know? right. I got schooled by so, Capo <laughs> Yeah, so I, that guy's the real deal. I, that guy's a top-pairing defenseman for sure. Johansson can't call him a bust yet. He's still 21. That's still young. But the guy's a little bit jumpy with with the puck on his stick. And for a guy who's supposed to be a two-way defenseman, a little bit of a concern. You'd like to see him get more offense there, but he can't if he's afraid to have the puck on his stick. Connor Hobbs improved his defense tremendously. I mean, he looked really good defensively. That's something he's really worked on. The problem for him is that everyone knew he had offensive skills and a great shot, and he hasn't been able to to find the time or the space to get that through in the AHL. So if he can put all that together, you could see him being maybe a power play specialist type of guy, third pairing type of guy. Tyron Lewington's the number seven. And if he plays more than 20 games in the NHL one year, then you're dealing with a lot of injuries. That should not be your plan. I think I went through everybody there. That was pretty good. No, that's, that's pretty the, much... the, the thing, the, the Caps defensive prospects obviously are better than their offensive prospects because they barely have any offensive prospects. They, you know, they always draft the best available. The top guys always seem to be defensemen, so that's who they end up taking. I don't think anyone in the league is looking at the caps and saying, though they've got a juggernaut of a blue line building there in the pro- in the in their prospects. I mean, it's their strength because they're just not they just don't have anything offensively. It's not bad, but it's just more of a reflection of there's nothing in the pipeline in terms of top tier offensive talent. And but you've got some good solid pieces on the blue line. I mean, I'm really intrigued by Alexiev. I mean, everything you've heard and, and said uh, about him is what you're saying, JJ, is top pair potential um, that, you know, it may, be a quick, it may be a quick run through the AHL, like depending on where they are, how, you know, the Niskanen situation plays out, what their needs are. If he's, if he's this good this quickly in the AHL, he might not be there very long or at least maybe get a, you know, a taste at some point. And then the Fairvari kid, I mean, you you keep saying that everyone in the organization really likes him, um, uh, and we'll see what what happens there. But I think, again, you're talking about if you throw in Lucas Johansson, who's still young, and there's still higher hopes for him, and who knows what that means. Is it a second-pair defenseman? Even if it's a third-pair, if he's a regular in the NHL, you got yourself a player. And I think that's where what you're saying is their prospects. You've got potentially three or four guys who could be your defensive pairs for the future. And that's where their strength is right and, now. And that's you're also realistic there too. You invest in those. You you make first round, you have first and second round draft picks, knowing if you have four or five, maybe only one or two become legitimate NHL players. And you hope one becomes John Carlson, but I, I don't know that any of these guys have that kind of ceiling. So you hope maybe you have a second pair guy, maybe you have a Dimitri Orloff or or somebody in two years that can step in and uh, and you can let some of your higher priced guys go, and then it, it just helps you with roster construction. They need that. They need yeah. that next generation to come up. And I think uh, just heading into the draft this year, JJ. I mean, it's pretty clear. You never want to re. You always want to take the best player. Like that's just any sport. But they need to add to that forward pipeline somehow. And if that's acquiring other picks or 
you know, trading current guys for picks and, and doing that, I think it's something that, that's got to be a priority here at some point. Yeah, I know. Uh, one of the other questions in the mailbag, someone asked if, uh, I, I can't remember who who it was, but somebody asked if the Caps need to draft a forward this year. And you, you always, in the NHL, you always pick the best available because most of these guys are going to take years to develop and you don't know what your needs are going to be two, three years down the road. Having said that, the Capitals absolutely need to draft a forward this year in the first <laughs> round. So, I mean, watch the Capitals this year because if those forwards start dropping early, then I think they may be proactive and trade up because they've got to replenish that pipeline. It's caught up to them this year. This is a year where they need cheap players to put into the lineup, and they don't have those guys, those high-potential prospects that they can plug into the lineup because they've just been drafting defensemen for, for years now. And so I, I would watch the Caps this year at the draft because I think there's a definite potential for them to trade up. So they're not going to draft a goalie? <laughs> Is that what we're feel, Is that, confident about that? You sat back I there mean, for like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, was, I was waiting for my turn. I couldn't get in. <laughs> I say they go goalie. Why? You can't have enough, right? Can't have enough. Aaron Carlson writes in, do you think it's almost certain, if no not relation. certain, to John Carlson, as far as we know? <laughs> have you checked? I did. Okay. Uh, Aaron Carlson writes, do you think it's almost certain, if not certain, that Brana will be back next season? If so, what kind of deal do you expect him to get? I would think it's fairly certain if, he's back next season. If there is one certainty in this offseason full of questions, it is that Jacob Brana is going to be back next year. I mean, yes. the, he doesn't even have arbitration rights. There's uh, literally, he has literally no options other than to sit out. I, and I bet it would be some sort of a bridge deal. Yeah, they don't they don't have the money to pay for unrestricted free agent years. It's going to be a bridge deal. I, I I would anticipate it being four years. I've seen some of the analytic number comparison predictions having him closer to three. I would think it would be four, but it's going to be in the three to four range. Did anybody think it was weird he got sat in Worlds? Yes, I don't understand. Got sat in the Worlds because they complain about his work ethic. Which, which is so which is crazy. Out of character. He's always the last person off the ice. In fact, I asked him, he came off early one day in practice during the playoffs, and I said, hey, this is early for you. And he said, coach has told me to get off. <laughs> like, <laughs> they literally have to tell him to get off the ice. It's yeah, when so that, crazy. When that report came out on Twitter, uh, we, really all, strange. we all responded to it in one way, shape, or form. I know Izzy responded to it. I think Tom Galitti responded to it. We I saw at least one or two of us did. And um, the only thing I could think is if you're not around that kid every day, right? Here's a kid. That kid is always smiling, always happy, going to probably make some sort of a funny remark as he walks by you. Just because, as Alan always says, no one's happier playing the game of hockey than Jacob Rana. The kid just loves playing. So if you're not around him every day, and here you are in the world, and this kid's kind of like, he, there is some sort of, I'm going to sound like an old man. There is some kind of like a bebopping around by Jacob Rana. Like he just sort of like walks around his head. Like he's like, there's music playing and like he's, yeah. he's just a happy kid. And maybe in a buttoned up sport like hockey, where you want your guys always focused, you're not going to give much in the way of interviews. You're going to be, you know, the boys here, give it 110% and all the, and here comes this kid that's happy, go lucky and smiling and laughing Maybe that rubbed someone the wrong way. I think you're I hitting. just can't imagine the work ethic drops so drastically from the kid who's always the last one on the ice. I think you you nailed it there. It's that this seems generational to me and check to me, right? It seems like you know, think think of if you're a 65-year-old check coach, right? 
you came up in a different system and a different world than Jake Verana came up in, right? It's just not even the same thing. So, uh, so the, the kind of flexing and the tongue hanging out and the kind of OV like, you know, exuberance after, after scoring goals, which we've seen here too, may absolutely rub that generation of, of coaches the wrong way. Now, I mean, talk about like cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, he had had a great <laughs> tournament and you're going to sit him because you kind of don't like his exuberance, his attitude, I guess. I mean, Jake, Jake's got a little edge to him. Like he, he's a confident guy and that, that can rub people the wrong way too. But it's, it's like you're dealing with NHL players. There were other NHL guys on that roster. They're all kind of confident alpha male type guys. So I don't, I don't see why that would be a thing. And, and as JJ, as y'all pointed out, I mean, we, he's on, he's literally the lat. he's always out there until the scratches are, are out there on, on the ice yeah. and then, then comes off. And I, I just don't see, it just doesn't, doesn't mesh with what we know of him. He had a tough playoffs. Maybe there were other aspects of his game. They weren't happy with, but man, when you're, when a guy's producing, I don't see how you don't stick with him. It was a, it was a weird, a, one of the weirder things to come out of the world championships. Yeah. The only other thing I could think of is that clearly he was dealing with some sort of injury. At, during the playoffs, he sort of alluded to it. And I think we're all and, stunned that he even went to the Worlds. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I was surprised that he went. And so maybe there was a little bit of uh, you know not going 100 percent in practices because he's he's is dealing with that injury what, that may have rubbed them the wrong way. But well, remember I don't what know. these guys deal with. I mean, they, there is and it's on the the Russians especially. But like Lars Eller had to go to Worlds, and that's that he definitely was dealing with something. He yeah. basically showed up long enough to like get them not even eliminated. He just played three games and was like, yo, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. Well, anymore. that coach is a hard ass to him too. Yeah. In and, Denmark. and, and it's kind of like, his dad's a little bit, uh, <laughs> getting his face a little bit, but you know what I mean? Like he, he went, Jacob Verano went, these guys may not have been hundred percent healthy. The caps probably are not thrilled that they're going. You'd rather have the, the recovery time. But I mean, Verana, speculating here, but he always seemed to have an ice bag on his shoulder in the playoffs when we would see him in the, in the locker room. So maybe he was dealing with that and maybe some of his wall play or some other detailed aspects weren't, um, you know, weren't up to par for what the the Czech coaches wanted, but come on, man, he he was producing for you. And they were, they had a, they beat Sweden. They drubbed Sweden in game one, their first game. And, we're in the mix and just uh, yeah, I'm just peak. calling BS to the whole report. Yeah, right? there's yeah. no way the kid yeah. that we well, I mean, follow not, and not talk the, to every not day. Not the report, just the opinion of, the of opinion. whoever right, right. whoever the guy was, yeah. uh, the no. coach, the coach over there. So. Not buying it. Who knows? All right, I'm not a hundred percent sure that four, I guess, middle class white dudes can answer this question, but we'll we'll throw oh. it out there from Nathan Sprenger. What can hockey do to be more friendly to minorities beyond the surface level initiatives, such as the NHL's Hockey is for Everyone campaign? It seems that the lack of racial minorities in hockey, the mostly white fan base, the ugly racial incidents involving fans online and in person have kept hockey from expanding in terms of popularity and participation among minority communities in the U.S. I hear that even in Canada, participation is down partially because the sport is often so unfriendly toward people of color. I know the expense and lack of ice is also a deterrent from more youth participating. That certainly plays into yeah. uh, why why it keeps uh, you know lower income families from playing because was, it's it's not cheap. Was talking to some uh, reporters from uh, from the Toronto area, and th- that's a fascinating. Dynamic. We think Toronto hockey central, right? Everybody everybody's on board and loves the sport. 
people of color in that area have gravitated toward the Raptors is, is what their, their reporters and the people I know from there were telling me. They were all in on the Raptors because, because of that, because sometimes hockey isn't as welcoming as it needs to be, especially at the youth level. We know how we know the craziness at the youth level at any city in Toronto, it's off the charts. And, and you talk about the economic aspect of that. Um, and so the Raptors have kind of made inroads in, in Toronto in a way that nobody really thought possible. Um, you know, it, it seems like everybody's on board with the Leafs and the Leafs are all that matter, but that they, they have some competition now and, and there's, you know, incentive for the NHL to make sure that it does reach out for everyone, that it does go beyond the, the just hockey is for everyone campaign, which is a great campaign and, and it does a lot of good, but I think making, making the sport available to people and making it more welcoming, making sure they can play first of all, but second of all, that if they want to, and second of all, that they can, uh, when they do that, when there are incidents as the Devonte Smith Pelly incident in Chicago and all the dumb stuff that we, we Joe see Ward had Joe Ward. I mean, it seems like we have a couple of these every year and certainly it happens at the junior level too. Um, that when that happens, the leagues, make the appropriate crackdowns and say, this is not, not acceptable to our sport. And um, if you engage in it as a fan, as a player, as a coach, you're going to pay the price. The, the biggest thing the NHL needs to do is it needs to find a way to mitigate the cost of playing hockey. I think if you have minor you, people of color, different minorities, different people of socioeconomic uh, classes, playing hockey, growing up, playing hockey, loving hockey, I think it mitigates the factors of watching hockey and realizing that nobody on the ice looks like you do. I think if you just grow up in the game that you don't notice that as much or don't care as much, but it's it's harder to do when there's not enough ice available and it's an expensive game to play. I mean, it's just an expensive game to play, and I think that's the biggest obstacle. And the other thing is that the, the hockey culture has to get away from shunning personalities they need to embrace these stars pk suban agree a thousand percent he should be the ultimate ambassador for minorities to get into the game and he is shunned for having a personality and they need to get hockey needs to evolve past that point and and what go ahead no i was gonna say whether you like the personality of, of pk suban or you don't it's still a personality and he's still kind of bigger than the game a little bit you know he gets his own tv show like there are things about him, whether you like him or not, that sort of go beyond just what we see on a day-to-day basis with the players. I'll say this. Uh, I think what you guys are saying is 100% right. I think uh, I think also, too, though, the, the NHL has made efforts, right? There are initiatives in place to do this. Uh, there are programs in place for, you know, to hand me down equipment so you kids don't have to just keep buying skates and, and the equipment. And all that is good. And I, say, I would say over the last 10 years, those initiatives have sort of been ramped up. I think with hockey, and, and we've seen this around here uh, with the youth hockey movement in general with kind of correlation to the OV popularity and what he's done for around here, it takes time. Like You're not going to know in a lot of ways what the effect's going to be for another few years. Now we're seeing like the OV kids who you know, were five when he first got here. Now they're getting drafted and they're kind of getting into college and we're seeing the effect. Uh, but in D.C. especially, right? So you have Fort DuPont. The Caps do a good job. I know Brooks Orpik donated a bunch of stuff there. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly was great. So we see a lot of good that happens around here with getting minorities involved. 
but Divina Pollen had lived around here too. Right. And I was going to say, and Tammy Lynch, who's up for the Willie O'Ree Award for what she did in response to that. Um, and that, you, and that was, just, and that's so a disaster of a situation. I mean, that's embarrassing. Those it, are parents of kids. Yeah. And, and, and you just, you, you have a hard time wrapping your head around being in a situation where that's not just, I don't know if the word is accepted, but tolerated that nobody, I mean, you'd get arrested, but I, I, I'd like to think if I was sitting there and seeing that I would have flipped out and I, I don't, and maybe I wouldn't have, but you just, it is so blood boiling just so wrong right and it's different than whatever the drunken buffoons were in chicago with Devonte smith pelly and it's a professional athlete and i I paid the money and i could say whatever i want which i don't think anyone ever said that in this but there's that sort of mentality of i can say whatever i want and you're all sauced up knowing that Devonte smith pelly can't get over the glass and at you <laughs> totally different when it's parents of kids it's outrageous in a youth it's- hockey game so and, that are yelling. And, 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 and I did some, we did some stories this year with youth hockey, with parents and with some kids. And I went out to practices. And there are, I mean, it's not 20 white kids on the ice. Right. You know, we went out to uh, Arlington. It was Arlington. Uh, and there was a fair mix of kids. I mean, mostly white, but it wasn't, you know, totally white. Uh, but, I, you know, talking with parents, though, and not necessarily on the racial stuff, but in general, I mean, that stuff all still happens. I mean, I would talk to one mom who said, yeah, you know, you, you get stuck on a team with some bad parents and it may, it ruins it. And we, and she said they had the misfortune of being stuck on some teams where they had to deal with some parents that they were embarrassed of didn't. And it, and it ruins it for everybody. Uh, and that part that need that, I think at a like, grassroots level, getting the, the initiatives are great, but you really have to dig into that level and root it out because that's where it starts. Problem is, there's bad people, <laughs> you know, and I don't know well, what can to we do, do about something it. about the bad people. I, I believe me, I wish, I wish we could, but the, it it always comes down to they're just people who are bad people to their core. And if you're a parent at a youth hockey game and you're yelling racial, you know, m- remarks at a kid, you're a bad person to your core because that's that's coming from yeah. a deep dark place. That's not yelling because you thought it was offsides. And it's bad enough when you're yelling at the refs at youth, but that, you're not yelling because you're frustrated in the heat of the moment. You're being disgusting and a vile human being when you're yelling that out in front of other kids and other parents. I just don't know what you do about that, you know, unless you put Alan May and Craig Berube at every high, <laughs> ice hockey rink and let them <laughs> handle it. <laughs> 643 minutes worth of penalty, but that's how you do it. All right, last question here from Adam Wingard. It's a long question, but this, I think, plays into some good, like, uh, sports talk radio type stuff. Uh, which current or former Caps are candidates for either Hall of Fame induction or having their numbers retired? Besides Ovi, of course. Repeat, uh, relatedly, are Peter Bondra's chances for Hall of Fame recognition hurt by the fact that he played almost his entire career in Washington at a time when it was not considered to be one of the league's glamour franchises. I always felt that he was criminally underrated and overlooked. Garrett, uh, uh, I guess that's another question. So that was that's um, a good, fun question to get into as far as Hall of Fame or numbers retired. Obviously, always going to the Hall of Fame. I think Backstrom's going to the Hall of Fame. From there, it gets a little it gets a little, a little dicey as far dicey. as you'd have to have a. John Carlson would need to, I think, pretty remarkable Norris. run. Yeah, he'd he'd have to have another four or five years of high high level play. Braden Holpe as well. I mean, a goalie with a cup is is 
important and a ton of playoff wins, but I, I think also would need to, you know, win another Vesna, come close, do do something like that. So uh, I don't I don't know that on the current crop you'd have more than those two. Yeah, in terms of Hall of Famers, I think it's just Ovechkin, Backstrom. I don't yeah. think there's there's anybody else there. Um, in terms of for the Bondra for for Peter Bondra, um, I think these sixty games in Atlanta hurt more than the, his time in Washington. No, that that <laughs> obviously that's a joke. I, I don't I don't think anyone cares about where he played. I for me, you can make a compelling case on his numbers. He's scored the 43rd most goals all time. That's nothing. I mean, 503 goals. That's that's a pretty remarkable achievement. Just for me, I, I admittedly have a high standard for retiring numbers and for the Hall of Fame. For me, he's not, if you look at players from his era, there's Mario Lemieux, there's Mark Messier, there's, there's Mike Madonna, you know, Joe Sackett, guys like that. To me, Peter Bondra just never raised got to that level. I mean, he, maybe he's just a notch below, but the Hall of Fame isn't for people who are just a notch below. They are for the best of the best. And believe me, I grew up loving Bondra. He was my absolute favorite player. He's one of the reasons why I got into hockey when I was little. It's just for me, he just comes just a little bit short of that of that standard. Even, even for getting his number retired too. The Capitals should have only two numbers retired in their franchise. Those numbers should be five and eight and nobody else. In my opinion, I disagree. Go ahead. Well, I would say Bonger for the Hall of Fame is that that that's an argue. I think you can make five hundred goals if if that's your if that's the line. Because in baseball, it's always like how many hits, how many home runs. If you cross that line, that kind of makes you Hall of Fame worthy. Five hundred goals. It, to me, I don't know if I put him in. It's, he's right on the cusp. What do you have any idea of? Like how many five hundred goal? Scores are not are not the- yes there are nine and four of them are not yet eligible to be okay. in yet okay so I mean, I mean he's 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 so in the argument where you could say he crossed the threshold I think if you they announce tomorrow that Peter Bonder makes it to the Hall of Fame I can't I can't imagine the the, the there'd be a lot of like what that's you know that's bull I can't believe they're doing it. I mean but I do I will say this as far as retired numbers go twelve should be up there thirty seven should be up there. In my opinion, that's six I mean, six numbers for a team that's won one Stanley Cup. I, yeah, but some teams have really weird. Like I don't, I don't like the teams that are like, no, we are the, we have forty Stanley Cups. You must have, you know, you know who does this? I'll go off sport top. North Carolina does this. They they like have four retired numbers or something. I believe. Like, what are you doing? You have one of the greatest basketball programs ever, and like Vince Carter can't get his number retired. Like that. that I think the standards for a number retirement, especially not Redskins related because of the just the heart. It's difficult to not, if you retire too many numbers, you don't have Can't any more. Team. Yeah. Unless, you, unless you want to have a number 114. Right. Like, but for the Caps, to me, I, to me, I think that should be lower. That bar should be a little bit. Kolzig works for me because he got you to your first cup and he literally got you there. Like, played amazing. I'm not saying like Joe. Juno needs to get one or something, but like lower the bar for local teams. Hall of Famer, I'm a little high. I'm, I think Bondra may fall into the hall of very, very, very good and just kind of miss out, you know, on 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 that. Yeah, I, I think the bar I, I, for the for the retired jersey thing. I think fans 
I, I think fans enjoy that. I think that's something, and, and I'm not saying you should do it necessarily for the fans. And to your point, we're, I'm not saying that Michael Pavanka needs to be up there. I'm not saying that Kelly Ridley or Kelly Miller or Mike Ridley need to be up there. But Olaf Kolzer was a world-class goalie here for a lot of years, had every record until Braden Holtby got here, got you to your first Stanley Cup final, was a fan favorite, a popular player who carried the torch for this franchise, was the face of this franchise. Okay, so then by that theory, and I I think I agree with you, but but by that theory, mm-hmm. and we're projecting out, Ovi will be retired, 8 will be retired, 19 will be retired, 74 will be retired, uh, 70 will be retired, potentially no. 43 will be retired. No, 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 no. But no, you're no. talking about a lot of guys who are the core – Guys who won, and I'm not throwing Andre Burakovsky because of Game Seven. I'm talking about listen. I'm not the five or six ha- guys who are the core guys of this run. I'm not saying you have to have a representative for every sort of generation of team, right? Langway, uh, Ivan Lebray. You know, Ivan Lebray obviously is up there for for obvious reasons. He was sort of the first great cap. Langway's there, he a Hall of Famer. That makes all the sense in the world. Then you move past that, and the teams that were very, very good. I mean, I mean, the playoff failures being what they were, that was a very good team for a long stretch of time, and it was because of mostly two guys, Peter Bondra and Olaf Kolzer. Right, but I'm talking I about this stretch that. of 10 years with guys who are setting every record. Two are going to the Hall of Fame. You're not going to tell me Carlson, Carlson's already in the number, you know, points and production for defense. That mean, that, I'm I mean, just asking. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm, I'm not. What I'm saying is there could be five or six off of this run of a decade plus that could easily get their number retired. And then you start getting into, all right, there's 10 different numbers retired soon that, you know, I, and I don't know. I mean, look, the Yankees, are, Honestly, the Yankees seem to retire yeah, every superstar that, that comes through. Me. That, mean, that, that, that means it, things have gone well. Gone well. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it just means less if you start re- retiring all these numbers. I think there needs to be, obviously the bar should be lower than the Hall of Fame for, for retiring a number. But I think if you just start throwing fan favorites who were very good, it means less. So what if you what if there was some sort of like a like the Redskins, a ring of honor? That so, that, that would be totally fine. Honor numbers. So right? re- retire Raise, Ovi and Backstrom, honor you know, raise uh, honor Holtby, honor Wilson, honor Carl, yeah, Carlson. Yeah, I think you can, you can raise Kolzig and Bondra to the rafters, have their jerseys up there, but don't retire the numbers. I, I'm fine with that and, and celebrating your history. But when you're retiring a number, I think it should be like literally I'm retiring number five and I'm retiring number eight because those two guys literally saved the franchise. That's I, how important they were. And I, I'm not retiring. I, I don't any agree other with numbers. I don't agree with that. I think, I, I think Backstrom's number is going to get retired. Oh, I mean, Backstrom has to, right? right. I mean, that, that, that shouldn't be a question. Uh, Coles, look, hope you won a cup. Like you win a cup, if you win a cup like that, you you get the and and have a long track record and multiple Vesnas. Uh, that that you have to get in there, right? Uh, that to me. I mean, the standard should not be. Did you save the franchise? That I mean, you're almost right. you're almost raising a past Hall of Fame level here. Right, right. I mean, I know what you're saying, and I I I, I get and there, what you're, I get there's what you're not there's not a lot of franchises that have had multiple times where you needed to but save the. I'm franchise. not saying save the franchise. No, but I'm you, just, I'm with using the caps, that, you are. I'm using that as a, someone who had a a dramatic effect on the franchise. Kolzig was a very good player, but I don't think everyone who's just a very good player during their era should get a their number retired. I would, but I would argue that Kolzig and Bondra had a dramatic effect on this team I, 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 on, on, during the 90s. I, 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 I would, now, I, I would no, say if Holtby's going to, when all is said and done with Holtby, he'll have a better argument 
for getting his number retired than Kolzig will. And there's no have. shame of having two goalies hanging could, from the rafters. Okay. I'm, I'm, my opinion. I'm playing uh, both sides. Okay, so here here would be my argument to that then. Compare the Capitals' run to the final in 1998 to their run now. And then tell me that Bondra and Kolzig had a dramatic effect on the franchise. They were both very good, but the what the cat but they didn't have enough of an effect on the franchise to make this a a a big time team. They weren't I disagree. I, I'm having that, I disagree. Having, I, I, like, no, they I were very good. They were very good, but they were the they were just very good players of their era. I don't think they had enough of an effect on the franchise to warrant having their numbers retired. I mean that but Bondra was a 50-goal scorer. A, a, Bondra you know, a, could be a Hall of Famer yet not have his number retired. Like, we're saying that he, but he's I hit the threshold. One, one but he's th- hit the threshold where you made an argument at, with 43 guys and only nine of them didn't and five of them aren't up for it yet. So there could be only four guys potentially that he would be in that group. You're making an argument that he's a Hall of Famer but not having his... Yager's a Hall of Famer. You gonna raise his his uh, number in the right No, not that here. Is, that one's not here. Yeah, you can't do it here. If we're saying that a 500 goal scorer, and now obviously not all 500 were here, but however many were here, is not good enough to get raised up, then I think that we're setting the bar too high. Scott Stevens yeah. was what eight years here. Well, that's the problem. And JJ brings up a good point there: is that the, the Caps are a little shy of the numbers because Scott Stevens and Larry Murphy, who I think would qualify a Hall of Famer, would qualify. They just weren't quite here. It's the same reason TJ Oshie probably wouldn't get his number retired here unless he has like five more ridiculous years. Right. It's because you probably need to be in that eight to 12 season range of impacting a franchise, which Bondra was, Kolzig was. And where you think of them, you think of this franchise. Yeah. You know which, what I mean? Like, which you might with Oshie if he if he plays another five years. Yeah, say, but he'd have to have remarkable numbers for another no, five. No years. question, and a big playoffs and and all that cut. Cu- right. If, that if stuff. he's a if he's over the next few years a twenty four goal scorer and then a nineteen goal scorer sure. in his career, he's sure. just not going to have the numbers. It's not going to happen. But but to me, if you have those, you know, Carlson will Stevens Holtby is, will Stevens is a devil, right? Like that's just it's, right. That's it my sucks point. because he was here and 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 he left. But that's that's the way it's going to be. Um, Bondra, so, you think of the Capitals. He's a cap. Yeah. Kolzig, Capitals. If you, if you were a high-level player for eight to ten years and you are associated with the franchise, I, I give you— I'm okay with I, I'm okay with it. You're not going to retire Lars Eller's jersey, but you're, you know, you're going to retire those kind of bigger-name guys, borderline Hall of Famers. Kolzig's probably not even borderline, but, again, getting a team to a cup, carrying— Here, some, here. what this franchise was— right. I'm I'm with you on those. I'm, I'm okay. Basically, it's a, it's basically, an we, argument. basically, the three of us agree that JJ's wrong, and that's really the <laughs> most important. Correct. Thing. Hey, big news before we get out of here. There's a Caps Talk podcast live event and party coming up on Thursday, June 13th, 6:30 at the Delegate, which is 901 L Street Northwest. That is a live recording of the Caps Talk podcast. I'll be there along with. Drum roll, please. The big names. <laughs> Joe B and Locker are going to join us there live at the uh, at the delegate on June 13th. You guys boys planning on being there? Everyone's going to be there? We're all good? I'm putting you on the spot, JJ. You going to be there? Probably. Okay. Yeah, way to commit. <laughs> I will be there. Hey, right, McNally, you there? You in? 
I live, I live on Capitol Hill, man. I have no excuse. You have no not excuse to, be there. to it literally stumble, literally minutes. stumble over there and stumble. Literally on. a six-minute Uber, and I'll be there and uh, have a good time. It should be fun. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I hope some Caps fans get out and uh, be a part of the live broadcast of the Caps Talk podcast again. That's Thursday, June thirteenth, six thirty at the Delegate on L Street. If you come, you enter into a raffle, get two tickets to the home opener next year. Ooh. That's not too shabby. That's There'll be other prizes as well. All right, so check it out. We will all see you there on Thursday night, June 13th, live edition of the Caps Talk podcast. This was fun. We covered a lot. Uh, it's like almost an hour. We may, we may have hit the hour mark, which I might I think might be a first for the Capitals Talk podcast. It was fun. Good hockey talk is uh, we stare June in the face. For Brian McNally, J.J. Regan, Ryan Billy, I'm Rob Carlin. We'll talk to you later. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.